Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. Tonight, we are kicking off a two-week series where we will be speaking about nothing other than money. All right, who's excited about this? All right, who's, who's scared of this? I, I'm really scared, all right? It's always, it's, it's, I mean, it's daunting to stand up here and to speak about money, and you can see the faces who are like just, man, just shut up, okay? I, I can see all of those faces, and I'm hoping by the end of tonight that you will not tell me to shut up, but th- that you would want me to speak more because I'm, whether you like it or not, I am going to speak about money. So I want to kick off with a question. The series that we're starting is called money talks. All right. My question to you is if your money could talk, what do you think it would say? Quickly share with your neighbor. Take 30 seconds. What do you think if your money could talk, what would it tell you? All right. Let's, let's hear it. If your money could talk, Sam. No, I'm just joking. What, what, what would it say? Any, any brave takers? Goodbye. goodbye. Right. Anyone in agreement with that? Kate would wave goodbye. Anyone else? Save me. All right. I'm dying. Anyone else? Don't use me. Okay. You just use me. It almost sounds like a relationship issue. You just use me. All right. Anyone else? Maybe one more. What? Be right, be right back. Sure. That's an investor speaking, all right? A guy who knows how to save his money. But for most of us, or for many of us, if your money could talk, it would say things like you have said, but it would also maybe say, I'm a bit lonely. Okay? I don't have many friends. Okay? Especially in your wallet. Or it would maybe pose the question to you, what are your plans for me? All right? What are you, what are you planning with my life. Or maybe your money would say, you don't like being with me. You always just send me away. You just, you just send me places. But I'm guessing that for most of us, this is true, that if your money could talk, the things that it would say to you would actually not surprise you. I'm guessing that you know exactly what your money would say. And guessing that your money is actually for you and wants to see you succeed, I'm sure that many of us know exactly what our money would tell us. And so over the next two weeks, the statements that I'm going to be making, we're going to be looking at three statements that if money could talk, what it would say. But to go beyond that, to, go, to look at how, if money could talk, what it would say actually parallels with what Jesus said about money when he did speak about money. And so for many of these statements, the three statements that money would make, for many of these things, your response might be, well, I, I know this. Okay, I know. Or your response might be, yeah, I know I shouldn't have. Or I should have known. Or for many of you, the statements might be very obvious things that you know in theory. But when it comes to the practice of applying theory, the things that we know we should do to the actual doing of the things, it gets a lot more complicated. Billy Graham, a well-known evangelist, said the following that I believe to be absolutely true about money. It said this. If a person gets his attitude towards money straight, 
It will help straighten out almost every area of his life. And so I want to flip that around and say, if your approach to your money is not straightened out, guess what? Most other areas in your life will be in utter chaos. And some of you are sitting here tonight and you go, I can testify to that. You almost want to shout amen, but you know you shouldn't. <laughs> All right? But this is the reality for most of us. Money is an emotional thing. There's a lot of emotion attached to our money. See, the point is this. We all know what the right thing to do with our family, or our finances. We all know what the right thing is for us to do. And I'm sure that we don't make bad financial decisions deliberately. Our intention is not necessarily to mess ourselves up financially, but oftentimes there's a lack in motivation in doing the right things, applying the kind of principles that we believe God calls us to apply when it comes to our finances. And so let me maybe make this statement tonight. As a church, we are preaching about money not because we want you to give more of your money to the church. Let's just get the elephant out of the room. We are preaching about money not to help you with 10% of your money. We're preaching about finances so that you can honor God in 100% of what he has entrusted you with. We want to see you honor God and succeed financially. We're not looking to get more money from you into the church. And although it might be a part of it, our aim is to see that God is honored in every single area of our lives. And I believe sometimes we reserve all other spiritual areas of our lives to God. But when it comes to money, there's a huge gate with a big chain and a lock on it, which says, beware, do not enter. You're not welcome in this place. See, Jesus, when he spoke about money, and he spoke about money quite often. In fact, Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about heaven, which is shocking. Okay, Jesus gave about 35 parables, which were stories that he told to illustrate what the kingdom of God was like and what we are supposed to do in his kingdom. So 16 out of the 35 stories that Jesus told had to do with money and possessions. There are 500 verses in the Bible that speak about prayer. There are less than 500 verses in the Bible that speak about faith. There are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that speak about money. So Jesus was vocal about the thing that we call money. But here's the interesting thing about Jesus' approach, and he's speaking about money, is not once did Jesus ever ask for money. There was a one instance that people might debate that he asked for money, but he was busy again telling a story, and so he asked someone for a, in the crowd to give him a coin, and then he did a little coin trick, and then he gave it back. 
Okay, he did something to illustrate or to drive home a point, and as far as we can understand, he actually gave the coin back. So why would Jesus speak so much about money? Why would there be 2,000 verses reserved in the Bible that speak about money, but Jesus never gets to the point where he actually asks us to give our money to him and to his church? Why would he go that far speaking about a topic but never asking for the thing that he's speaking about? Because when we speak in church, when we speak about money in church, the obvious ending would be give more money. But somehow Jesus did not take that route. And here's why. Because from Jesus' perspective, if money could talk... And when Jesus did speak about money, he said this. He made this statement. Money is only a means to an end. From the perspective of Jesus, money is only a means to an end. So if your money started talking, one thing it would tell you for certain is that I can add meaning to your life, but I am not the meaning of life. And yet so many people, not out there in the world, but in here, are challenged not to make money the meaning of life. Many of us live our lives in order to accumulate money, to be financially free, and we live our lives as though the meaning of life is money. And money is not something that can add meaning to life. Instead, it's the meaning of life. See, when you look at money, it doesn't get much airtime at funerals. When you're at a funeral, you very rarely hear a eulogy where someone goes on about how rich this person was. The only time that they might speak about money is in relation to how many of it was actually given away. It would testify towards the generosity of the person who passed away. So if money could talk, it would say the following. Make me an end, and you may end up alone. A few years back, there was this thing doing the rounds on Facebook where someone published a letter that they claimed Steve Jobs, the creator or the founder of Apple, actually said while lying on his deathbed. And the blog read something like, Steve Jobs on his deathbed realized that money is not what life is about, and he realized that he ended up with a lot of wealth but with no real true relationships, and he realized he missed the meaning and the crux of what life was intended to be about. A few years after that was, or a few months after that was published, Steve Jobs' sister actually came out and said this was not true at all. In fact, she spent the last few hours of his life with him next to his deathbed. And she tells the following story of what really happened as he gave his last breath. She tells about how he was lying in bed, surrounded by his family, surrounded by his friends, by his children, by his wife, and the only thing Steve Jobs kept doing as he was about to die is his sister tells he would look at her, he would look at his children, 
He would look at his family. He would look at his friends. And he would utter these six words over and over again. As he was looking at them, he would just say, Wow, 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 wow. Six times. And she tells about how one of the most wealthiest people ever to live, the very thing that he was so blown away by was not the amount of wealth he accumulated. It was not the things that he acquired because of his wealth. The one thing that left him awestruck at the end of his life were the people and the relationships that he built in his life. And may it be the same for us. May we learn from this man's story where he had everything that he could ever dream of, and yet he found that not to be the meaning of life. See, being a means to an end is what makes anything meaningful. If you take your own life, if your life is a means to a greater end, your life gets purpose and it gets meaning. Take money, for instance. Take currency. The only thing, the only reason why we're in the rat race to accumulate and to acquire physical money, banknotes and coins, is for this reason, because it's a means by which you and I can acquire what our hearts desire. But without that, if money is not a means to an end, there's really no value in a physical banknote or a coin of money. So if you really want to live a meaningful life, which I'm sure all of us do, you need to become a means to an end. Your life needs to become a means to an end, but not only a means to an end, a means to an end that is beyond yourself. An unselfish, selfless end that is not built around me. And the moment you and I make the decision to make our lives be a means to an end beyond ourselves, our money, our money will soon follow. If you position yourself at a space where you live for something outside of yourself, your money will soon follow suit. Jack Hales said it this way, God never leads anyone anywhere for money. And God might lead you places where you acquire crazy amounts of money. I'm sure that there are people sitting here tonight, God has called you and gifted you to generate intense amounts of money. But that's not the end goal. It's not the end game. You acquiring a lot of money is a means through which generosity can flow to an end that is way beyond yourself. Some of you are called to start businesses, to make lots of money, to see the kingdom of God advance, and to see cities restored. A few weeks ago, I met a young man that is more or less my age. 
This guy studied financial planning, um, financial management, um, and as he graduated, he was actually offered a job by um, a property magnate in South Africa who owns like countless amount of residential as well as business properties. And so he, this man appointed this young man freshly out of, out of varsity to manage what he owned. And so he told him, listen, I'm losing track of the wealth that I'm generating. And I'm suspecting that I'm losing because I can't keep control of everything that I've accumulated. So I need you to be my financial manager and planning or, and planner and oversee all of my assets and investments. So this guy falls into a hugely um, good job for him that pays him out a pretty good salary and gives him great experience. So a few months into this, um, this manager realizes that the owner really, the guy that I'm working for, really doesn't know what's happening in his finances. So, so if I let it slack a little bit, if, 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 if I lose money here and there, it will really not upset my, my boss very much. And so he goes on um, a few months after that. He, he tells about how his boss calls him into his office and says the following to him. He says, listen, I've, I've heard rumors that you are mismanaging my assets. You are mismanaging my money, and money is being lost because of the way that you're mismanaging it. And I've been watching you for a while, and so you're fired. You're not going to work for me anymore. But he told him this, that I'm giving you two months notice. You need to sort out everything. You need to get all the people who owes me money. You need to get that money from them before you leave. But then I don't want to ever see you again. And so this manager goes out to all of the people who um, owed his boss money, and he makes deals with them. So he goes from company to company, and he tells him, listen, you owe my, my boss this much. Let's slice it in half. Pay me 50% of that now, and I'll write the rest off. So he goes from business to business to business because he realized if he loses this job, or when he loses this job, he's going to be out on the street. People are not going to trust him. And so he wanted to win favor with some people who might be people who could potentially offer him a job when he gets fired. And so he goes from company to company to company, slicing their debt in half. And after a few weeks, again, he tells about how his boss calls him into his office and tells him, listen, I've heard you have been giving people like crazy discounts and only getting 50% of what they owed me. What's up? And he goes on to explain, y'all, but he felt it would be good for the company and it, it, it got in capital. Um, he actually got some cash from the people, to which he tells his boss responds in this way. Gets up, shakes his hand, and tells him, well played. And so I don't know how many of you are following the story very closely, but this really is not a story of someone that I met a few weeks ago. This is a story that Jesus told to a crowd. And after telling the story in Luke 16, in verse 9, he goes on to explain why the master which represents God and the manager which re represents you and I, why, why the master would commend dishonesty. 
And he says this in verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I really never knew that the Bible actually said you need to use money to make friends. That's crazy, right? Go and look it up. The Bible actually makes that statement. So this whole story and this verse specifically sounds so wrong. And I can't explain why Jesus is commending this guy or why the master is commending this dishonest manager. But I do know this from Scripture, that there is a way in which you and I can use something as practical as money to make a change in where we will spend eternity. When I read that scripture, that's what I'm getting, because he's saying, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, in other words, when you die, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. I want to tell you tonight, the way you spend your money, whether good or bad, determines your eternity with or without God. You can use your money as a means to change your eternity. There's a story, a true story of a lady called Maya Angelou. We've actually got a picture of her up on the screen. So this lady was married to a super wealthy businessman. And this businessman set out to accumulate wealth, to be a successful businessman, to be rich when he retires, and to be rich the day that he dies. And so a few weeks, as he had a quite a long sickbed, he calls his wife to his sickbed and tells her, listen, you need to make me a promise of trust right now before I die. And he tells her this. I have worked very hard for everything that I have today. I think it's only fair that I get buried with the cash of all my assets. And he tells his wife, you need to promise me today that you will keep this promise and put all the cash with me in my grave because I think I deserve it. This is, a, this is like legit stuff. This is a true story. And so his wife eventually gets to the point where she makes this promise and she tells him, okay, cool, I'll do it. So on the day of his funeral, just before the casket is being lowered down into the grave, Maya runs up with this little shoe box that we also have a photo of. She puts it on top of his casket as it's being lowered down and the guys start piling dirt on top of this thing. Everyone watches in agony as millions and millions of dollars are being buried with this man. And so after the craziness of the funeral settled down, some of Maya's friends came over to her home and asked the question that everyone was wanting to ask, why did you actually keep this promise? Why did you bury all of that money with your dead husband and just let it go to waste. To which Maya responded that, yes, I buried all the cash with him. Two days after he died, I sold all of his assets, as he asked. I had the cash deposited into my bank account, and I wrote him a check. And I put the check into the shoebox 
which is buried. And whenever he wants to, he can go to the bank and cash in on the check. What a lady. Look at that smirk. Can we just have that picture of her up again on the screen? I mean, what a lady. <laughs> That's your kind of grandma. What? <laughs> it's not her. Is Maya Angelou black? Are you sure? We, we, we can debate about that afterwards. But anyways... Here's the reality for you and I. The, the truth is, we cannot take our possessions with us. And the reality is, if our possessions, acquiring wealth, becomes an end in itself, everything else becomes a means. If, if, if my aim is to acquire wealth, then my friends become a means to that end. My family becomes a means to that end. And even God becomes a means to my end, which is acquiring wealth. So money, if it could talk, it would say that I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. I'm merely a means to an end. But if money could talk, it would also say that I'm a tool. I'm a tool to be used. And when we look at the story that Jesus tells, it seems ridiculous in the fact that the dishonest behavior of this manager is being praised. But when you look a bit deeper, what the manager is really being praised for is the fact that he viewed and approached money as a means to a great end. He used money to provide for himself security and the right kind of relationships. The second thing that this manager was praised for is that all the master's debtors had their debt sliced in half. And so everyone who got a discount on their debt viewed the master as a gracious person. And so the manager gets commended for thinking in the way or in the word that the scripture used shrewdly, thoughtfully, mindfully, working smart to use money as a means to an end. So money is a tool that you and I can use to turn our stuff into stories. To take our wealth, to take what we have been entrusted with and to turn it into stories. And when you have experienced how God can use your financial means to bless beyond you, you will notice how money when we use it as a tool to turn stuff into stories, will bring you a kind of joy that you've never experienced before, ever in your life. I remember a few years ago when Anal and I were still staying in the Cape, we gave notice at the apartment that we stayed and we wanted to move to a different place. And then when the date came that we had to move out, we didn't have a place yet. And so we were looking around for places, but for that month we had to stay in guest, house, guest houses. And I remember 
when I had the thought that, shucks, I can actually save up a bit of money because this, this, um, this month we're not paying rent. And as I had that thought, God spoke to Anel and I and told us, listen, I want you to give away what you would have paid for rent this month to a family in the church who had three children at school and was, was, um, was going through a difficult time financially. And I remember, I think it was probably about seven or 8,000 rand that God told us to pay into someone else's account. And I remember sitting in front of my computer having to make that payment. They didn't know where it was coming from. I wouldn't get credit from anyone. It was one of the most difficult yet most freeing payments that I've ever made in my life. And after that, we heard stories from this family of how God started to come through for them. And for the first time, I experienced what it feels like to take my stuff and use it as a tool to turn it into stories. To be part of an answered prayer to someone who put their faith in Jesus brings a kind of joy that you and I will not find anywhere else. I remember being in grade 11, walked out of church on one Sunday evening with one of my friends who was with me at school. And as we're going to, to my car, he turned around and said he just quickly needs to do something. And he took out a thousand rand cash and he gave it to the car guard that worked at the church. And the look on that guy's face, hearing how he has been trusting God for financial breakthrough, for something specific. And in that moment, stuff was turned into stories. About two years, three years ago, we were going through a financial, financially difficult time and I had to put new tires on my car. Started praying, started speaking to a few friends. A few weeks after that, someone in our church approached me and said they felt God telling them to put new tires on my car. But it's being part of what God is doing in other people's lives. Where you get to be part of the answered prayer of the faith that they've extended towards God. So the question that I want to confront you with tonight is this. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? Which is it? I want to tell you stuff might satisfy for a time. It might create a sense of security for you. But I want to tell you the stories will echo into eternity. The stories that, I, that I've been remembering over the past few weeks of times when we had the privilege to be part of someone's answered prayer brings me joy every single time I think about it. Every single time I speak about it, it's a joy that never fades because it's a privilege for me to use my money and my possessions as a means to an end which goes beyond me. And the reality is, if you would want more stuff than what you would want stories, you will live your life living off of your income and whatever is left after living you might save and whatever is left after living and saving you will end up giving but if we're saying that we have a desire to honor god in our finances and to turn stuff into stories 
we flip that around and we start by giving. We decide on how much exactly do we want to give. After we've given, then we decide on how much we want to save because we want to be good stewards of what God has entrusted us with. And what is left after giving and saving is what we have to live from. It's a difficult concept. It's hard to put into practice. I'm struggling with it still today. But I believe that's the way we turn our stuff into stories. So not only is money a means to an end, not only is money a tool that we use to turn stuff into stories, but money is also a test. Jesus continues to explain the story that he's told, and he says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And then in verse 11, he says, So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Two things that are evident from this scripture. More money will not make you generous. Getting more money will not make you more generous. What more money does is it makes you more of who you already are. If you are stingy right now, if you get more money, you will be more stingy. If you are generous now, more money will make you more generous. There's a story of a pastor who a guy approaches him in church, tells him, listen, pastor, won't you pray for me to win the lottery? To which the pastor goes like, why, why would I do that? And so he goes on and he says, listen, pastor, if, if you pray for me to win the lottery and I win the lottery, I will give 10% of my winnings to the church. And I mean, he's got the pastor at that point. So the pastor lays hands on him, and he prays, and he trusts in God. Lord, let this man win the lottery. And a few months down the line, this guy, believe it or not, wins the lottery. Disappears from the church. <laughs> so a few months after that, the pastor is walking in the mall, and guess who he walks into? This guy. And he told him, listen, how are you doing? And he's like, no, life is good. I won the lottery. It's amazing. And the pastor goes, but, um, I mean, we're still waiting for, for, for my prayer commission, if you want to call it that. Um, and this guy looks at the pastor, and he responds by saying the following. He says, pastor, a poor man does not think like a rich man. A poor man does not think like a rich man. See, it's easy to have the idea and to think that you will be generous when you have plenty until you have plenty. Then you realize more money makes you more of who you are. And Jesus goes on to say, he drives the point home that money is only worldly wealth. It is not even true riches. And if you and I are not careful with something as simple and as petty as money. How will we ever be trusted to acquire 
true riches. See, God invites you and I to take great care when it comes to how we allocate our money. Because the reality for all of us is a certain amount comes in and then we send it places. We decide. I want to invite a volunteer up to the stage. Anyone? Anyone with a steady hand? Any doctors in the house? Surgeons. Violet does hair. Violet, step up to the plate, please. <laughs> Sam is such a motivational person. Let's give it up for Violet. So Violet, won't you quickly join me up here? And now we're just hoping that this thing works. It works. All right. So Violet, um, we've all, or most of us have played this game growing up. So I want you to give your best. But the only trick is I want you to complete this test with your eyes closed. Are you up for that? So quickly take the, the hand piece there and close your eyes, and I want to see how far you can come on this test with your eyes closed. Trust the Lord now. We walk by faith and not by sight. You are not moving. <laughs> At this point, she's not even started. <laughs> Go for it. Keep going. Nailed it. All right. Quickly stop there. Go to the beginning. Now I want you to try and do it with your eyes actually opened, focused on the test. So let's see how it goes now. Steady hands. Oh, well done. Let's give it up for her. You did very well. If anyone else wants to have a go after the service, you're more than welcome. But here's the reality when it comes to our finances. God is trusting us with a specific amount. God has entrusted you as a manager over a specific amount every single month. And God is inviting us to apply great care in the way that we allocate the money. And we believe that God wants all of our lives to be submitted to Him. But for some reason, when it comes to our money, we know it impacts our relationship with God. We know that our giving and our generosity has an influence on our relationship with God. But for some other reason, we take the thing and we close our eyes and we just wing it. And then we are bound to mess up and screw it up. But God is inviting you tonight to apply great care in the way you allocate your finances because you're just a manager. You're entrusted, you're appointed as a manager. And John Hagee says it this way, since my money is God's money, every spending decision I make is a spiritual decision. I want to end with a story 
few weeks ago on Facebook, I stumbled upon a guy who posted videos of him actually being generous and helping homeless people. And so I started watching this guy's videos, and I got really inspired by what he is doing. Um, and just his generosity and the way that he decides to allocate his money. So I just quickly want the team at the back to cue a video clip and then, then we'll land the service. Not working. Okay, anyways. So basically what this guy does is he goes out into the streets and he looks for people that he can place that he can restore a bit of dignity to and so these two young guys he found sleeping on the side of the road they had basically the clothes that they were wearing and so he goes over to them and he tells them listen I want to take you out today and so he takes them out he takes them clothes shopping first he takes them to have a, a shower then he takes them out to a shopping mall where they can choose the clothes that they want they can choose as much as they want and so they get dressed up, they buy some extra clothes, and then he takes them to a restaurant where he tells them, order what you'd like, eat what you'd like. And so they enjoy a meal all together. After that, he takes them to Checkers, and he tells them, get you some groceries, whatever you'd like. And so a relationship started between these two boys and this guy, where they are now in a friendship where it started with him reaching out. And he says the following about his journey. He says, I've always had it on my heart and was set on changing the lives of South Africans, one disadvantaged person at a time. It began more than 10 years ago. Now I was doing it in church for the widows and orphans in the community, he says. It is something that has always been in my heart since the first time I started working in my first job, which was to care for the needy. I decided to start a Facebook page on my project to share good news and to inspire others. It has kept me grounded personally, and spiritually I have made so many friends with the poor. He says he doesn't keep track of how much he has spent, nor how many people he has helped. I don't count because this is a lifestyle, it's not a competition. There is no beginning nor end, but I will be doing this until the end of my days. It's also not about how much I give, but the act of giving with an open heart that is my priority. Sometimes you will give until you are left with nothing in your account. And so there's a burning passion in this man's heart. There's something that he's dreaming about. And so his job becomes a means by which he finances the burning passion in his heart. And my question to you tonight would be, if money is a means to an end, what is that greater end in your life? What do you want people to thank you for at the end of, at the end of your life? What is the burning desire, the burning passion in your heart? What are the things in our city that bothers you, the injustices that keep you up at night? And my question then would be, how is money in your life a means 
to addressing that greater end. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Jesus, that you have not called us to serve money, Jesus. You have not called us to make money an end in itself. And if money could talk, and when you did speak about money, you said, I can add meaning to your life, but I'm not the meaning of life. And I pray for every person sitting here, Jesus, that we would use our money as a means to an end to fund the passions, the dreams, and the desires that you have placed in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.